You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 119. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the third and final part of my interview with the multi-talented America Young. In parts one and two of this interview, America shared with us her experiences working in almost every aspect of performing. She's worked on camera, as a voice actor, as a stunt performer, and most importantly for our conversation, as a motion capture actress in video games. We're very fortunate to have America talk with us about what it takes to succeed in the developing world of motion capture. In the last episode, America helped define for us what motion capture is. And how it differs from the more recently coined term performance capture. She also explained how her experience as an on-camera actor and stunt performer informs her motion capture work. In addition, we discussed some of the most common practices in the world of motion capture. As we wrap up our time together, America explains how she creates a character physically when she has very little information to work with. This is a common occurrence in video games, where actors are rarely given an entire script from beginning to end to study before they are asked to perform. She also stresses the importance of using your imagination when performing motion capture. The mocap volume is basically a big empty space that requires you to fill in the details of the world around you with your own creativity. We also touch on how America's knowledge of geeky subjects like comic books can be both helpful and a hindrance when approaching her work. And now, the feature segment. So it sounds like you, when you're, especially when you're with a, a, a paucity of information, shall we say, um, and you're jumping in there, it sounds like what you like to do is try to build some sort of conceptual, physical model yeah. of the character so that you have, dare I say, your puppet ready to go, mm-hmm. right? And I like what you said about, I think what we've come around to is this idea that you're the first draft of the animation as the motion capture yeah, actor, Yeah, that's a right? great way of putting it. So you're the first draft of the animation. You're animating the character, uh, and whether you're doing the voice or whether you're body-syncing somebody else's vocal performance, you're doing that first draft of animation. That was actually something that I learned uh, because my wife is an animator. She's classically trained as a, as a Disney animator, and I would sit in her, in her classes all the time to try to figure out how animation works yeah. as a performance medium. Yeah. And one of the things they teach in that in animation is to avoid what's called twinning. Okay. Twinning is when you have both sides of your body moving symmetrically. So if I move my arms, my hands up and down, you know, the same way on both sides, I look symmetrical left and right. right. And that's called twinning. Okay. Your hands are doing the same thing. 
this looks terrible in animation. Right. Yeah. Right. You can sort of get away with it on on camera because there's such tiny variations in the way you may move your hands on camera that we pick up on that and it doesn't look weird. But if you do it in animation, because it's this geometrical abstraction, it looks. Straight, you look like a robot. Right. So I was working on that Tomb Raider where I was body sinking, and I did the mocap, and then they would show the wireframe of the character afterwards. And I came around to look at the video screen as they were sh- showing the playback of what I did, and there was a woman standing next to me who was one of the animators on the game. And as they're playing the mocap back and my performance, I look and I realize I'm twinning. Really. I realize that I'm I'm doing it totally unconsciously. Both sides of my body are symmetrical, and I looked at her and I said. I'm twinning, aren't I? And she looked at me. She's like, "You can see that?" Was she so impressed? She was so grateful. She was like, "You can see that?" I was like, "Yes, yes. Let me. Go. I'm going to fix that. I'll, I'll be asymmetrical. I'll make sure that I give you a better silhouette as an animator to work with." She's like, "Oh, thank God!" Like she was so oh, grateful so that she knew that. Yeah. So on some level, you're instinctively making sure that your puppet, your animated character, has a solid. Physical characteristic, a, a, a physical character、yeah. to it, so that no matter what's being thrown at you in terms of content, you feel like the character can be consistent. When you're then in the volume, do you sort of reach out to hang on to your fellow actor?、Um, what is is it is it sort of similar to your experience when you're doing theater in the way that you relate to your actor, or is it different? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you you come up with an idea of what your character is, and what you just said was poetry. It was great,、um, better than I could have ever said it. But it, but it also、uh, by keeping people. Most people don't move in that way. You know, most people don't move twinning when they're not when they're not paying attention. Most people、yeah. don't do that. When we're when we start to become way too aware of our bodies,、um, we start to walk weird. Like I don't I don't know if you've experienced this, but like there's people that I've worked with. There's things that I've worked on where we've had extras, and I've just said just or background performers, and I said just just walk back, you know, back and forth,、mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden they know that they're on camera. So then the walking becomes like really unnatural because you, once you become so aware of what it is we're doing with our bodies.、Mm-hmm. Um, You lose all natural ability. So for、right. me, focusing on the physicality, on is she scared? Is she brave? Is she confident? Oh, I see. Is she certain? Right. Is she、uh, intelligent and thinks things out, or is she brash and moves before? Just by asking those questions, I'm focusing more on the character. Right. Even if nobody else knows the choices I'm making, I know that I'm keeping her real, so that nine times out of ten, my motions then will be grounded in something real, and I'm not focusing on the movement. I'm focusing on what's causing the movement. You're not making a 3D model. Yeah. You're making an emotional model. Yeah. You're saying I've got to hang on to the emotional center of this character and allow that emotional center to affect my entire body and not just my face and my eyes. And just my face, and that's a perfect way. And and as you said, we are the first draft. For the animators, so hopefully I give them something they didn't even think about. Right. You know, maybe maybe a hesitation before I reach and push a button, or maybe、uh, the brashness in which I wipe something away. They can go, oh my, I didn't even think about that. That's so cool. Let me let me incorporate that, and that that'll get them excited and add a layer to the character that they hadn't even into. Because ideally, you want them to go, oh, thank God we used them.、Mm-hmm. They keep they brought something to the table that didn't occur to us. Right. So by doing any kinds of additional work that you can to bring something new to the table that wouldn't have occurred to them is always a good thing. Yeah, and this idea、you know? of the emotional model. Yeah. When when you have that emotional model on camera and you're nervous, it might be a flicker of the eye or 
a, a, you know, an opening of the mouth. But when you're doing your whole body, that nervous, m- nervousness may manifest in your shoulders mm-hmm. curling over and getting tense or you ducking your head. Like you, or the, you, the way you breathe, yeah. your pace of breathing, or even just a little small, tiny, minuscule fidget with your fingers. With your fingers, yeah. And the technology now picks that up. Yeah, or your, your, maybe your toes sort of go pigeon toed yeah. a little bit because you're trying to hide. But you have to translate. I think that's one of the things that I find with a lot of people when they're first coming to any sort of acting is that in their mind, they, they have this whole maelstrom of emotion going on, but it's not coming out. Right, I'll give them a direction, and and they'll say, "I'm feeling it." I go, "I'm sure you are. Right. I'm sure in your mind there's a hurricane going on, but we on the outside don't see it because there's some sort of disconnect where it's not you're not giving yourself permission for it to affect your physical body." Right. Um, it's something I say in voice acting all the time: is that acting in general is not a mental art, and voice acting is not uh, a, a vocal art. Acting is a physical exercise. If you're not having a physiological response, right? If your heart rate is not going up, if your adrenaline is not pumping, if you're not getting clammy hands, we're not going to believe your performance. So right. your, your job as an actor is to imagine the situation around you with such veracity that your body responds with the appropriate uh, response for how you're playing pretend. Absolutely. And and it's 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 so clear. I'm sure it's so obvious when you're doing motion capture whether someone's doing that or not because you can see it in their body you can see whether it's having an effect in their sort of physical performance absolutely and 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 just like the voiceover booth motion capture you're in a big empty space i mean the booth is a smaller space but you don't have the sets and you don't have the costume you don't so it's it's so reliant on your on your imagination yeah you know you, you if you're doing a period piece you don't usually have actually you're not actually wearing a corset to remind you of your posture of how you should move right so you have to remember that within the character that she is where she is somebody who wears a corset and therefore her her midsection is going to be extremely stiff and the way she picks something up and the way she moves is going to be very different than if you're doing something for like call of duty or doing something for um you know every game is different and so you do have to ask those questions because you don't you have to keep that all in your mind which is the most fun part of it yeah, you know? but it's also the biggest challenge. You know, no, and it's different actors respond to that differently. I've watched actors like yourself just say, "You mean I'm in a big blank space and I can make whatever I want with my imagination?" Yahoo! <laughs> and I've seen other actors go, "I have no idea where the table is anymore. I can't remember. This is too hard." You know, like they right. they want the set, they want the costumes, the stuff around them, or they feel like they're acting in a vacuum, and and, and it freaks them out. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. Are, are there any, uh, mo- oh, and, and to answer your question, cause I'm sorry, I don't think I ever did. Oh. Um, when you're, w- whether you rely on your fellow actors or yes. not, and you do, you, you definitely do. You'll do rehearsals and you'll come, come up with stuff, but it's like, like anything else. It's so wonderful when you have someone else you can feed off of yeah. and, um, the way that they react to you or the way you react to them gives them each other something. Yeah. So, um, you don't always have people to react off of in motion capture. Sometimes you're by yourself or sometimes um, you're doing one scene over here and somebody and they're doing the scene over there or they'll do them separately. Yeah. But when you have someone in the scene, um, it's always great to have someone to feed off of. It's like Gene Kelly dancing with Jerry Mouse. Yeah. You know, he's he, he had to film that by himself, yeah. but he's imagining that Jerry is there dancing with him. So even if it's an imaginary dance partner, you've got to dance with someone. Um, the, the, the metaphor that I like to use is tennis. You are not interesting enough. Your, your forehand, your backhand 
is not interesting enough on its own for us to watch you. What、mm-hmm. we want to watch is the ball going back and forth between you and your partner to watch. The game, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting that you sort of set up with this idea of okay, what's the emotional center of my character, so I know what kind of tennis I like to play, and then I got to hang on to my scene partner and who I'm working with, even if they're imaginary. Yeah. I've got to hang on to my scene partner so that I can make sure that I'm relating to someone and I'm not just doing shtick. Right,、yeah. I'm not just sort of mugging or that unnatural or too, thing or too planned. Like,、yeah. look at your watch. I have to go. You know what I mean? Like, you you can't keep it planned. You have to. You have to. And I think this is the same in all acting. You have to know who your person is、mm-hmm. so that you can react in a normal at the second moment. Yeah,、um, reaction. You know? No, that's really great. Are there any motion capture people that、uh, you sort of admire, or is there anything when you watch somebody do something you're like, oh my god, that's great! I got to steal that.、Um, Richard Dorton is incredible.、Okay. He's mocap man, and he's、oh, been、yeah. doing this since they were like tennis balls glued to your butt, your actual skin. Like he's、wow. been doing it for a while. He's been really great to watch.、Um, Who have I watched recently in terms of performance? I've seen a lot of incredible stunt people doing stunts.、Um, Natalie Padilla is unbelievable. I worked with her just on、uh, Halo Five, and she defies all laws of gravity. <laughs> unbelievable what she's doing! Like if you if you played Halo Five and there's、uh, what did she play? She played、um, oh who was her character? She、uh, who was Laura Bailey's character? Oh, I don't remember. She was she was the body for Laura Bailey's for like、okay. all the stunt and the action stuff. Okay. And you watch it and you're like, oh well, they were on wires. They weren't. She wasn't. She did all of that without. I mean, without she、wires. she's phenomenal.、Wow. She's a doll to begin with.、Um, who else have I worked with? What do you tend to want to take from them? Is there something of theirs that you find that you've been able to incorporate in your own? Well, Natalie's superpowers I'd like to take from her, like right, that, that's that's gymnastics and stuff. Yeah, But yeah.、Um, what what I liked about、uh, Richard specifically, and he was basically one of the first people. He wasn't one of the first people I worked with, but one of the first person I actually started to like emulate、uh-huh. um, was was he he approaches character building in a very similar way.、Uh-huh. Um, he comes, I believe, from theater as well,、um, but he, you know, just watching. So he did all of the zombies from the first Left for Dead,、hmm. and watching the way that he just he constructed. How their movements、mm-hmm. came about, you know. He would look at the pictures, and he would look at like, okay, well, if, if there's a head here, and there's an arm missing here, then they're probably off balance here, and then that means they probably lead with, you know, like he actually, yeah, actually thought it out, you yeah, know, because when you're dealing with animation, it's and CGI and and all of that, it's it's all it's really hard to not feel real and connected, yeah. And so when when you take the time to do something like that, then、yeah. you it does feel much more connected. It's, it's、cool. still locked to this planet, you know. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I've also gotten the impression that you, my dear, are a bit of a geek.、Uh, what? No, <laughs> no, I don't. Where would you? Which mystique are you talking about? <laughs>、um, and so, the one thing I want to ask you about is this notion of how your sort of geekdom has informed your、uh, performance and your career. How does it? 
help you uh, or does it hinder you at any point as you're approaching these characters and trying to do stuff? And I say this because often, I don't know if this is your experience when people come up to you to ask you about what you do, but as a voice actor, the people, a lot of the people that are coming up to me to ask me about voice acting are coming from the position of fandom, right? right? That, they are, that they are fans of this stuff as I was when I was young, you know? And I, still are. You still watch and, cartoons. And still are. I right? still watch cartoons. <laughs> I'm actually my brother... <laughs> His son is now needing cartoons, and they come to my library to get the cartoons the because they don't have them. That's like, the best. Crispin, do you have this film? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you, do you want it widescreen? Do you want my to get, cousin's like, kid comes to me for comics? Yeah, there you go. You know. So yes, I absolutely still watch cartoons. Um, uh, so how 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 have you found that your um, enthusiasm enthusiasm for the medium um, has informed how you approach? your career as a performer? Um, it, it's helped in a lot of ways, and it's, it's been painful in a couple. So it's, it's, it's helped in the fact that I was able to go, show up to the X-Men game not knowing it was an X-Men game. They tell me you're playing Mystique, and I can say which one. So, so, so that has helped in that regard because um, then I can give the best, most authentic performance. And even if I didn't know that, I guarantee you that they would have known to tell me that. You know, hmm. um, if even if I hadn't asked, they would yeah. have said, "This is this is this is our mystique. This is what we're doing." Right. Um, uh, but but knowing the medium, knowing the characters, knowing the backline, the backstories of for Spider Man, for example, knowing who MJ and Black Cat were, and not having to spend the time to have that conversation right. is very helpful. And then you take what you know about it, you take what they've told you about the project, and then you still kind of create your own version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes I think uh, it can be a little limiting for me because having b- being an avid van- fan of a certain character, mm-hmm. I'm terrified to not do that character justice, and therefore it ends up not being maybe as creative and original as it could be. Right. Um, but overall, having that knowledge is good. Um, one of the perfect examples of this, I think, is... Um, I guess I won't say names. But I had somebody call me recently, and uh, he was auditioning for... a a video game property that he was an avid fan for of and mm. um he you know wanted me to coach him a little bit on for motion capture on it right. and so I, you know i gave I, I coached him as much as i could on it and um he just kept talking about how you know this was his favorite game and he loved this property and was obsessed with it he's obsessed with it and and um and I found out later when I spoke to the director, what he did was kind of the perfect thing. So he took his knowledge of the game and he took his knowledge of the character mm-hmm. to know what the character should be. And then he put himself into it and created something that was the same but different. And so the director had said they saw two types of people. They saw people who came in and emulated the character exactly, which mm-hmm. was not interesting to them. Right. And felt soulless because right. it was an imitation. Yeah. And then they had people come in who had done no research at all and came was so far off the mark that they couldn't even consider them. And so this guy had come in right down the middle, having done his work, but made it him. Yeah. So it was fresh and felt real. Um, but it was right down in the exact right place where it should have been for the character. There's a phrase that I like to use, um, and I repeat it endlessly. Hopefully that it'll it'll go in. Um, and I and I steal it from Stanislavski. I, par- I paraphrase it from Stanislavski. Love the art in yourself more than yourself in the art. Yeah. Right. And most people go, oh yeah, that sounds good. It's like no, no, no. Let's think about what that really means. If when you have your friend who want to do this. He loved this franchise, whatever it was, right? And so there's a part of him that loves himself 
in that franchise. Yeah. Right? And the idea of being in that of franchise being, was, you know. Is that not most of the motivation for cosplay? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is yeah. that I want to be in the art. Right. But when it comes time to make it, when the people who are in the kitchen trying to cook it need people to collaborate with, you got to switch gears a bit. Mm-hmm. You got to say, well, yes, I may love being in this art, but I've got to love the art in myself yeah. more. Yeah. I've got to say, this is what I have to bring to this character that maybe you've never seen before. I had a similar experience when I got cast as Superman for Justice League Heroes for the PlayStation. Yeah. I had been called back for Martian Manhunter because he was the guy I was really sort of interested in and playing. The problem is I didn't realize that Martian Manhunter is almost always played by a very large black man. And so what chance did I have? I mean, right. people like to think that I have a deep voice please compared to like Kevin Michael Richardson and these guys and Keith David and these guys with these pipes I'm yeah. like, mm. so I got called back and the director God Lover said you're not right for Martian Manhunter and she said why don't you read for Superman now most anybody when offered the opportunity to read for Superman is going to go right down that path right yeah. they're going to say they're going to get so paralyzed by their notions of how Superman should be done. Yeah, exactly. That they're going to just lock up and they're going to forget to love the art themselves. I don't have the same fetishization of Superman that a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I border it with Captain America right now. But I don't have it for <laughs> Superman. And so um, when they said you know, Superman, the first thought in my head is, this is what I think Superman is about. Right? Good. I had to come in and say, I think Superman is this guy who has no... He doesn't have a dissembling bone in his alien body. He has no subtext. Yeah. Right? He yeah. is just who he is. Yeah. And so I came and said, this is my Superman. And they're like, great, you're hired. And I was like, what, 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 what? You know, like it really took me aback because it was like, oh, that's the way it works. And then there's a scene in the game where he thinks all of his friends have basically been killed. And so he sort of loses it. And then later they realizes that they've survived, but he's still angry. And so he's, they're all like freaking out because they're like, Superman's going a little crazy. And Wonder Woman's like, let me talk to him. And she comes up and she's like, Clark, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And it, there was this rage behind Superman that I was able to provide because I had been lied to. Well, you know what's terrifying about that is that based on what you said about there's no dissembling bone in his body and he always says exactly what he thinks with no subtext. Yeah. The fact that he lied on that line. Is weird. It's right? so, it gave me chills. Yeah, like there's something at he one point. He had been lied to and now he's learning to learn what a lie is. Yeah. I mean, oh, uh, that's great. And then like there's this big door and they don't know how to get through it. And Wonder Woman says, what are we going to do? And he goes, we're going to knock. Bang. And he just like, and he, t- he just, he's had it. Like there's a certain <gasps> so good. righteous rage that someone has said, you know, hell hath no fury as a Midwesterner lied to. Yeah. Like there's something about when you've, when you're dealing with the people who think that, being forthright is the way to be. And it's the most important thing. Um, and so the character had this rage that they really weren't expecting. And they were, that was something that people said about that game was that, like, wow, that was this side of Superman we'd never seen before and had never thought that that would be there. And I'm like, it's a logical extension totally. of his psychology. If he really doesn't believe in being sort of. Uh, dishonest in a way, then yeah, that's the way he's going to react when faced with someone who's pulled the wool over his eyes. Well, it's a really interesting multi-leveled show of him because for all all these years, he's always just been the Boy Scout, right? Like Mm -hmm. who never loses his temper and all this other stuff. And and, uh, 
Man of Steel, we won't we won't get into no. discussing how much I didn't like that movie, but no. um, it was so frustrating to me when I read the comments after he had killed Zod, which is a whole nother discussion. But the this should not have ever happened. But but in the in the in the comments are like finally a Superman I can relate to, and that made me so mad because because I think what they meant to say was a Superman with emotions that are realistic and that are extensions of actual reactions. I think they didn't realize that he has to kill some. I think they thought he has to kill someone to get to that point of a real motion but you can have the rage but still be superman who wouldn't kill anybody have they not seen the first christopher reeve superman when he realizes that lois has died right i mean that's pretty how much more do you rage i'm going to turn the planet backwards to get what i want what like, I mean, and that's, yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I think we're in an era, and this, this ranges a little bit beyond the, the world of, of performance and whatnot, but I, f- I feel like we are, we are in an era where people have decided that what's really cool is to take the archetype and break it. Yeah. And it's like, but... And make it gritty. And, and, but it's not even, I mean, because Batman, we like a gritty Batman, but when a Batman becomes homicidal, that's breaking the archetype. That's breaking the character. That's not the way the character works. Why don't you just dress him in red and blue then? Because it doesn't, that's not what he's about. Right. And so it's interesting. I mean, I think that was one of the things that was fascinating about what Frank Miller did with Dark Knight Returns is he said, I'm going to take the logical extension of how this character works and give him a Ragnarok. I'm going to give him an end of days. This yeah. is how the mythology ends. And because he did it with such um, uh, savviness, both... And truth to the character. Respect for the mythology and also bringing his own artistry. It's the same case. Um, that that we look at that and we say yes. And that ends up informing so much of the Batmans that came after Dark Knight Returns. That this grittier, darker Batman rather than the wham, bam, pow Batman of the, the television show, series. Yeah. right? Which are both different aspects of the character. They still they still work. Um, you can have the campy Batman and you can have the gritty Batman and he can still be Batman. But now it seems like they just want to break the archetype and do something what they want with it. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the... But, uh, whatever. I mean, I, I didn't see it, but the most recent Batman, Superman, but they killed Jimmy Wilson just because... Just because. You know, I mean, it's just, come on. But that's, that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. So I want to ask you now... This is now your chance on the podcast with all my listeners to answer the age-old question, which is always asked to, I'm sure, at every public event or convention when they say, how do I get to do what you do, right? How do I become... And with you, my God, it's so varied. We haven't even gotten into your directing and producing and everything else. But um, let's, we can at least stick to the performance aspect of things. How do I become a motion capture or performance capture performer? How do I become a voice actor? How do I become a stunt person? This is your chance to give your advice to the aspiring performer. What advice would you give them? Or what advice would you wish that, that had been told to you when you were sort of first starting out? Um, okay, so what would I say? I think the thing that has served me most in everything is learning as much as I can about everything. 
So um, if you know that you want to get into stunts and motion capture, um, learn as much as you possibly can in every regard. Just knowing martial arts is not enough. Just knowing um, how to do a high fall or gymnastics is not enough. Um, in stunts, there's a term called all expected abilities, which means that when you show up on set, you need to be able to do a certain, there's a certain list of things that you need to, there's an understanding that when you show up on set, you know how to do those things. All expected abilities. I love that phrase. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, okay, and, I, and I, I feel like, I think every department needs that because yeah. there's been time where I've hired someone and I've been and for a specific job and they're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And I, and I, I want to be like, isn't that part of your job description? <laughs> but with stunts, if you, if you hire a professional stunt person, you hire someone who shows up on set with all expected abilities. And then there's certain abilities that, that supersede that. So if you're going to do a car hit or a, an extremely high fall or a fire burn, there's certain things where they will double check with you to make sure you know how to do that. But otherwise, right. they call you. Are you available? Yes, you show up. And they expect that you can do a certain amount of things yeah. and that's why you're there. Yeah. And then, um, especially because with some people, unless you're specifically doubling someone, you're kind of like the Swiss army knife. So they'll have an idea of what they want you to have. But if you're doing ND stunts, you know, they'll throw you into different things that sometimes aren't expected. Yeah. Um, so learn everything you possibly can. It, it, the, the way of knowing, and I guess I learned this from my dad, the way of knowing if that's what you want to do is that you can't learn enough. You, you, you're devouring it. Mm -hmm. And once you learn one martial art, you can't wait to learn another martial art. Right. And once you learn one type of fall, you can't wait to learn the next fall. And once you've learned that, you can't wait to learn wires. It, it's the fact that you're not doing it for the money, although you know that can be good, but you're doing it because you can't stop learning it and, mm -hmm. and because it, you love it so much. So if you want to get into stunts and, mar and motion capture, they have tons of behind the scenes stuff on motion capture now in video games. Watch all of them so that when you get the opportunity to audition, you're not going in completely cold. Um, watch the behind the scenes on the stunt stuff. If you go to YouTube, there's there's so many stunt reels that you can Google. There's um, uh, previs that stunt people will shoot themselves and put up there that you can learn from. Yeah. Um, find places in your city where you can train. You can I, I, the two things that I can't recommend enough would be gymnastics. And and martial arts just to give you a basis. Yeah. Um, you won't necessarily use martial arts that much. There's the more and more because of the superheroes and Jedis and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's more and more fights. But most of the time what you're learning is how to fall and not get hurt. Yeah. And that's where gymnastics is invaluable. But martial arts teaches you that also. It also teaches you spatial awareness. It teaches you the limits of your body. So I would definitely learn that. Specifically in Los Angeles, um, JAM, Joining All Movement, is a gym. Um, I believe it's in Reseda. I've just driven there so many times, I can't even tell you where it is. It's called JM? J JAM. JAM. Joining All Movement. Joining All Movement, JAM. And they, okay. have, they have a bunch of different variety of classes from tricking to, I don't know if they have specifically stunt classes, but they have... What's tricking? Tricking is like really cool, complicated martial art moves all put together. So when oh. you see someone put a, a, a combination of kicks that are all spinning kicks, flying kicks and stuff, that's tricking. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, but they have open gym. And uh -huh. you can go to the open gym and just train with a whole bunch of stunt people who are just messing around and, and learning things. Um, the other place that I actually, I've only visited, but I haven't taken classes at is Tempest Free Running Academy. Okay. And there's something definitely about free running. Again, it's spatial awareness. It's learning how to hit parkour the ground. Stuff. and yeah, yeah, parkour. And, and um, 
So that would be another great place. Uh, uh, Simon Rees in Woodland Hills is a martial arts studio, and he gives discounts to stunt people. So there's usually a great selection of stunt people there that you can train with and get a basis in martial arts if you don't have one. Nice. And he's great. He works all the time. Um, so, so basically just learn as much as you can uh, is the best thing. And then you just need to find your community because the stunt community uh, hires from within, yeah. you know, and the stunt community supports each other and um and that, how, that's the important part and how does that uh, sort of apply to the motion capture if you were to give sort of are, are there motion capture schools they, there... they've started doing motion capture schools i think uh-huh. richard dorton actually teaches one but you know it's honestly like I, this is something i'm asked maybe the most often is motion capture and i i have the least answer for that because mm-hmm. The way I got in was was you know a w- few years ago, and things have changed so much now. And I wouldn't even be able to tell somebody. I mean, I could tell them, you know, submit your headshot and resume to the different motion capture houses mm-hmm. in town. You know, from House of Moves to Activision to and and I could tell you to keep an eye out on on and break down services. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it's such it's still such an incestuous company yeah. that like I just get called directly or I get called through my agent. Um, Vox has a motion capture uh, section to them. So right. um, if you were to reach out to Vox and maybe get represented by them, they might be able to send you out on stuff. But um, I really don't know what to tell people. And people have asked yeah. me this and I feel awful not being able to give a concrete answer. But it's such, they've, they're doing more and more postings mm-hmm. and they're now starting to ha- hire kind of casting directors for certain projects yeah but it's still such a tight-knit circle and they're still they just would rather just work with the people that they already have and so that's what's been making it a little bit harder and the only times they go out of that circle that i've noticed is when they're trying to pull in a celebrity yeah well because it is a very rarefied set of skills and so it's not the kind of thing that everybody is i mean it's it reminds me a little bit of like working in anime the notion of adr matching lip flap so hard that's something that's not taught in most acting schools so the there's a similar incestuous group of people that work on that because they know that if you can't sort of pat your head and remember your tummy at the same time we can't use you no matter how good an actor you are and like you've had your own personal experience with film actors coming to audition for stuff for television actors and they don't know how to put it into their body it's like you're a great actor but not in this medium so we're just going to be wasting our time and we don't we don't have time to waste we, we have gotta... time to waste and, and in motion capture they can reuse you a million times and it doesn't matter it's not like you get overexposed and yeah. it's not like you know um so so that's why they just keep using the same people and once you get into a loop you you pretty much stay there so uh, sending headshots and resumes i've known people who've gotten gotten cast from sending them um to the different houses mm-hmm. um richard dorton has been teaching a class mm-hmm. um for motion capture uh, and I think that helps, you know, because I think you actually get in the suit, and I think you actually get to see what oh, it feels yeah, like, yeah. And, and some basic stuff. And yeah, he's really, he's that. really broken it down. Cool. Um, so that that would probably be a good thing, and just and I'll just keep an eye out. I know for myself, I started taking uh, when I first came to LA. I started taking kung fu. And I had a sort of, uh, I really liked the traditional kung fu forms, not so much the wushu, but a lot of the traditional kung fu forms. And I loved weapons. Mm-hmm. I just loved playing with weapons. And that was incredibly helpful when I started doing motion capture. Yeah. Because there was actually one game, Castlevania, I was working on. And all the other characters had weapons and none of them knew how to use them. And uh, it was funny because the guy who was the head of it was a big, he had done a lot of Hong Kong kung fu films. He was a white guy who had done kung fu films. But the problem was in a Hong Kong kung fu film, the white guy's always a kickboxer. 
he never uses weapons. Really? Only the Chinese guys tend to use weapons. Interesting. So we came in to do this game, and all these characters had weapons. Ironically, I was the hero, and I couldn't because I could have a different weapon depending on where you were in the game. So I never had a weapon in my hand. But everyone I was fighting always had a weapon in their hand, and none of them knew how to use them. Oh, man. And so I was like, g- g- give me that spear. Let me show you. Okay, this is a broken gate Shaolin spear. Okay, g- 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 give me that sword. Okay, they're going to do this little shingy sword here. You know, like yeah. I, was, I was coaching everybody about how to do their weapons, and actually it happened on... Uh, on uh, on Bayonetta 2, actually, they were initially going to have us come in and do mocap for it in addition to the voices. It didn't end up happening. But I came in with, the, they had like a, a staff there and because my character has this like double-sided Naginata spear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can do Broken Gate Shaolin spear. It's sort of similar. And so I came in for the audition and was like doing spear technique. They were so impressed. And they were like, well, it's so funny. They were sort of gamer guys. So they're like, yeah, that was good. And I, <laughs> I was like, how many other voice actor, stage actor guys do you None. know that can do Broken Gate Challenge Spear? None. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, but yeah, but no, it's... it's. Uh, you know. Everything that I've ever learned just out of interest from myself, I've always ended up using in my career without even meaning to. I mean, I took I took pole dancing classes once just for workout reasons and, mm-hmm. and loved it and then ended up not only being cast once in a movie because of it. Yeah. Um, it was, thankfully, it was a comedy, nothing too serious. Um, <laughs> and then and for a video game. I've used, oh, I've used pole dancing in a video sure. game for Saints Row. And oh. um, so there, every single time I have learned something just because of my... My love of learning and picking up new things it yeah. has always paid off always and I think that's really important this notion that it's it's got to be fascinating to you, yeah. you, 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 you we're, we're saying all these things to do but it should not sound like a list of homework no it should be like oh I get to I yeah. get to work with weapons I get to learn how to do that that's what it should be yeah my Shifu was like uh, I'm like more weapons more weapons she's like uh, I'm starting to run out of weapons like no no you don't come on go back to China find some more weapons for me <laughs> Create some, create some weapons. I demand it. Um, that's that's fantastic. So yeah, it is it is a little insular, but it sounds like you've got to have a good background in theater, physical acting, any kind of stunt, martial arts training is going to be incredibly useful because oh, I don't know. In games, people tend to try to kill each other. Yeah. Um, there tends to be fighting and whatnot. It's and, not and just... more and more, they're hiring the voiceover actors to do the motion capture. So yeah. be training in voiceover. Yeah. You know, be a trained voiceover person because you might book a job as in in uh, as a voiceover actor in a game, and then they they if they can if they then say, hey, do you know how to do motion capture or can you do motion capture? You need to be prepared to say yes. Yeah, you know, to be able to do it. Yeah, that's great. Any chances that you might uh, end up teaching people how to do this kind of stuff? Um, I've thought about it. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about it. I don't know. I, I guess uh, I guess I'd have to figure out what my curriculum would be. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you could figure it out. Oh, thanks. I have a feeling you can figure it out. I, I would definitely think about it. So before we sign it. off, are there any other projects that you're working on now that you'd like to, to plug? Uh, well, my feature hopefully will be coming out pretty soon. Yes, um, tell us about your so feature. So the feature is called The Concessionaires Must Die. Uh, the website is cmdthemovie.com. You can see the trailer. It's executive produced by Stan Lee. And, um, Which is awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. Right, and I yeah. think you said that like this is his first time actually being able to play a character yeah. in a film, not yeah. just coming on to do a cameo. Good right? memory. Yeah, he and he said it when we were filming it. He said, "Oh, it's my first movie," and I said, "Stan, you've done." Hundreds yeah. of movies, and he said, "No, he's always just been a cameo." Yeah, um, this is his first time being a character in a movie that's like pivotal to the plot, right? So, With a scene affecting the other characters. Yeah, yeah. 
That's yeah. awesome. And he's referred to throughout the entire movie. Everybody knows who this guy's grandfather is. And wow. So, um, yeah, it's actually pretty exciting that cool. this is his first film. And this is your first feature film that mm-hmm. you've made, right? Wow, that's, yeah. that's a lot Cannot wait for it to be done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm, I really love it. I'm really proud of it, but it's yeah, a but long you're in, you're in your third trimester, process. and you're yeah. ready to... I'm actually probably in my seventh, seventh trimester. trimester. <laughs> maybe eighth. <laughs> so um, that baby is fully grown you at this point. It. So CMD the movie. Dot com. Com. Yeah. Excellent. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the blog post with the episode as Thank well you. so people can get to it. So And, and your website as well, americayoung.com, mm-hmm. right? So we can link to there, um, which has all sorts of great uh, stuff, all, the, all this sort of work. And it's got a bunch of your reels on it as well, like yeah, it your does. stunt reel and whatnot. Yeah. So people can see the kind of work you do. And well, my stunt reel is a little dated. But uh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, it's up there. My demo's a little dated, too. Yeah. What are you going to do? We're I'm, busy. I know. It's so hard when you're working so much. <laughs> you don't have time to update. <laughs> uh, well, excellent. Thank you so much, America, for taking so Thank much time you, to chat with Thank you, Kristen. This is really great. I really appreciate it. Very good stuff. I am blown away by America's knowledge and her enthusiasm for storytelling in all its forms. Not only does she have an immensely wide range of skills she can call upon, such as acting, stunts, writing, directing, and producing, but her abilities are driven by a sincere enthusiasm for all kinds of storytelling. She truly is the embodiment of how one's fascination can be the inspiration to master the skills you need to be a successful artist. One of the most helpful ideas I've learned from talking to America is this notion of being able to deliver all expected abilities required of a performer. While I had never heard the term all expected abilities before investigating the world of stunts, I feel that this term applies to all performers regardless of their medium of expression. If you want to be a voice actor, there is a minimum set of skills that are going to be expected of you no matter who you are. The same goes for being a motion capture performer or an on-camera performer. These expected abilities are almost never spelled out anywhere. You pick them up as you study and work with other, more experienced actors. It's like a common vocabulary that is passed from person to person as you learn any language. And like a language, the best way to learn is through immersion. While I can't predict in detail what the expected abilities might be for a particular voice acting or motion capture job, I can say with certainty that the core of anyone's success in these fields is solid acting ability. No amount of flashy voices, physical tricks, or other gimmicks can compensate for having professionally competitive acting skills. Always develop your acting skills first, rather than relying on exaggerated characterizations or impressive athletic feats. How does one learn these acting skills? Through fascination. America's father gave us some fabulous advice. The way of knowing if performing is something that you want to do is if you can't learn enough about it. If you discover what fascinates you about performing, improving your abilities won't feel like a long list of obligations or a daunting number of things you need to master, but rather an exciting opportunity to gain skills that have always fascinated you. A healthy fascination for acting will inspire you to seek out opportunities to learn and expand your abilities. When you are fascinated by a subject, problems become challenges and obstacles become opportunities. 
Nothing will serve you better in the pursuit of an acting career than being obsessed with learning all you can about performing. I think what I admire most about America is how she allows her own fascination with all aspects of storytelling to inspire her to pursue her passion in life. Thanks again to America for spending so much time with us and for sharing such great wisdom and experience. I've certainly benefited from it, and I hope you have too. If you, as a listener, have found this or any of my podcast episodes helpful in your own voice acting journey, I would so appreciate it if you would head over to the iTunes store, look up this podcast, and leave me a nice review. You can rate the podcast using the five-star system, and you can also leave comments to show your support. Just open up iTunes on your computer, go to the iTunes store, search for Voice Acting Mastery, and I'll pop up instantly. Once you've clicked on the podcast listing in the iTunes store, you should see a button that says Write a Review. Click on that button to do just that. I'd like to reach as many people as possible with my podcast, and every positive comment you leave helps other aspiring voice actors find this information. Thanks so much, and I'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening.